0: Hello and welcome to Shakespeare and Pals, where we look at all of Shakespeare's plays in chronological order. Today we are going to be discussing The Taming of the Shrew. I know last time I said we were going to do Henry VI Part II, but that hasn't arrived in the mail for me. So,
1: Taming of the Shrew. But first of all, let's introduce ourselves. I'm Michael. I'm Greg and i am sophie we have a new member here today
0: sophie i just to get out in front of any accusations i am not bringing on a woman just because we're doing taming of the shrew uh, what is your unique perspective on domestic violence sophie as a woman do you think it's bad
2: i mean i would assume it's bad
0: exactly I mean... that's what that's only what a woman <laughs> can bring this show Anyway, back to... We, we were going to bring you on for whatever we did second. We were going to do Henry VI, but we did Taming of the Shrew. Anyway. Now, would anyone like to give their relationship with this play specifically, the relationship with Shakespeare in general for Sophie, but the relationship with this play in specific? Greg?
3: Oh Well, for this play in specific, my relationship is almost entirely about the fact that there are so many decent um adaptations especially my favorite 10 things i hate about you um and i've been singing um that damn song that Heath Ledger sings in it
0: uh i love you baby
1: um, I love oh yeah stuck in my I head only
0: remember that song from the son of the mask
3: I remember it from 10 Things I Hate About You and this really weird movie called Conspiracy Theory with Julia Roberts and Mel Gibson, which has nothing to do with Taming of the Shrew. Although Mel Gibson was in Zeffirelli's Hamlet, and I just watched Zeffirelli's um, version of Taming of the Shrew with Burton and Taylor, and we are back on topic. Look at that.
2: (laughs) Incredible.
3: Incredible. Taming of the Shrew is not a play I like but is a play that has many lines I like. <laughs> um, and that is the best way to put it.
0: We'll see if your opinion of the play has changed by the end of this discussion. <laughs> but Sophie, your relationship with Shakespeare and your relationship to taming of the shrew. Um,
2: My relationship with Shakespeare is pretty um, incidental. You know, you we did, it at, we did some of his plays at school, as you do. Um, if you hear karaoke... Mm. What? Okay. Um, I think some... By the way, uh, for those who are listening, I am currently recording this in a karaoke group booth in uh, Japan, and I think that weird noise was some, some wires crossing and leaking from another booth, so I apologize if that continues to happen for some reason. Anyway... Um, I my my relationship with Shakespeare pretty incidental usually had something to do with school um and uh I did actually enjoy the most um his last play the tempest because it was the shortest um so when I realized shrew was also quite short I was like oh this might be my second favorite now um
0: the which- title didn't tip you off about anything no it was a story I mean, about a pet, right?
3: Yeah, it was about getting your through, pets under them. control.
1: It will kill you, animal.
2: Yeah. yeah. Um, and I did know that, uh, well, maybe I remembered subconsciously that 10 uh, Things I Hate About You was, you know, based off this. So I was like, it can't be that bad. Like, then again, most of the um, Shakespeare based teen movies that were proliferating in that, ooh, say that badly, proliferating in that um, time frame. We're pretty bad, but you know, like, so yeah, that's that's my relationship. It's very casual. It's
0: very uh, very y We'll see if your relationship with this play in particular has been a pleasant one, shall we? <laughs> we usually begin with a biographical section of Shakespeare with... A lot of his plays, it's difficult to date them exactly, so it's difficult to give a strict biographical view of the surrounding of this play. I told you about his early life last time, but let's get into what happened around now. So when he wrote this play, he was already married to Anne Hathaway, and he had been since he was 18, and he had three children. Some critics and biographers point to this play as perhaps being a sign that he wasn't that happy in that relationship Uh, but we really have no evidence regarding what the marriage was like really some people looking for any shred of evidence as to what maybe his private life was like at this stage in his career, this very early stage he was mainly known as a poet because the printed versions of these early plays they didn't really carry his name Only his plays Venus and Adonis and The Rape of Lucrece, those contained his name. And his income early on in his career uh, wasn't that stable because theatres of the Elizabethan era did not pay royalties. He got one settled payment for the plays and then he just had to write another play. So he was looking for a noble patron around this time. I believe a few years later, in 1594, he became a shareholder in the theatre company. who was at the Lord Chamberlain's Men. But that's still a few years off. So he's he wrote this for a single payment. Maybe that affects the quality. Maybe it didn't. But uh, that is the biography. Now, let's get into the play itself. We begin the play with the most, that most famous Shakespearean character, Christopher Sly, a drunkard getting kicked out of a bar. Did everyone expect that this play would start with uh, Christopher Sly?
3: I forgot it, it had this really weird bookended part to it.
2: I genuinely did not know that was a thing. I, I just stared at it going, I just read the first few pages of that and going, I swear this is not what this is about, <laughs> but this, this isn't, is this is, this must be a framing device, but is it a good framing device? Like what, what was the, ch- where is the choice in this? What's the point? I don't, I just, I was very confused.
3: I read one, um, and I don't remember who it was, but one critic talked about like, a. Uh, current twentieth century twenty first century critic was talking about they believe the framing device might have been to have Shakespeare excuse himself for creating such characters as a way of saying these characters aren 't a reflection on reality or how I think people should be these characters In which are specific sense. Sort of distract. um specifically about what we'll get into later on the um, the treatment of Kate um, quite possibly was bad even by Shakespeare times.
0: Yes, there may be something in that, but we'll get to that later. But, you know, Greg, you used the term bookending because, you know, my edition says that the original quarto doesn't have, it has only one end of the book, the, but there is another play called The Taming of a Shrew*, which has the other end. Of the you
3: know, what you, you are right, it doesn't have the other end on this particular play,
0: yes. Yes, they this play it sets up this it's phrasing just, device and the then it reminds us, it never us goes of, back to it, <laughs> yes. No, it does. It actually at the end of act one, scene one, it reminds us, don't forget, don't forget, they're here. Sly is still watching this, but then never brings it up again, doesn't end on it
1: for me. Um, like. Yeah, I
2: for me it was like um, you know, the by birth a peddler, by education a card maker. So he's like peasant through and through. So I part of me was wondering, is that is this like a, a brief comment on, you know, birth versus um nature versus um yeah, nature versus nurture. Um situation where if you just despite the birth, um, if you nurture them just so, they will become noble and that's the point of the play that if you just treat a character a person in a certain way they will reflect those qualities back at you um obviously i was kind of disillusioned of that uh, notion on reading the rest of the play (laughs) um at least a semi um disillusioned of that so i'm just and um the fact that there was no ending going concluding sly's own pantomime i was just going what is going on yeah no this is not shakespeare's best work for very Mm obviously
0: yes and we've been talking about this beginning section and how it's the play the taming of the Shrew, is actually a play within a play but i I should actually summarize what's happening here that there is a drunk guy called uh, christopher sly who quite unusually, I think this section is set in London, which is not something Shakespeare tends to do. So this section is set in London. So we have Christopher Sly, he gets kicked out of a pub by a, let's say, a shrewish hostess. And then he collapses on the ground and a nobleman passing by decides to play a prank on him. Um, And this prank is picking him up, taking this drunkard to his house, putting him in his own bed, dressing him up as a nobleman, and trying to convince him that your life as a drunkard was actually hallucination. You were mad, but now you are awake again. You are a noble. And he gives him lots of servants, and he also gives him a lovely, beautiful, submissive wife who's actually a boy in drag. Uh, but it as a as a prank, this is... I mean, usually pranks are meant to hurt someone. This doesn't seem like a good prank. It's, it's just giving a guy a holiday. I, I, I wonder what the entertainment value is in this to the, the, to the noble.
3: This is the nice form of gaslighting
0: in the play. Yes. <laughs> Maybe that's a reflection. Sophie, do you, th- do you uh, think that this is a good prank? I mean,
2: part of me thinks like, a good prank is a prank that does no harm. You know, so um if you scratch someone's car and it's like, oh it was a prank bro, then no, clearly that was not a prank. That's just malicious assault on someone else's property. While um a good prank is like, I don't know Taking someone
4: home, taking care of them.
2: Car. Like, I don't know, there's some it's a, a pr- good prank is a prank that does no harm. Um But part of me is like, wait, so once he's had his holiday and he thinks um you know, oh, so I'm going to go back to my castle. I'm going to make love to this beautiful wife uh, who is not a wife but is, in fact, a little page boy. Um, all right, let's get out of here. And then people are going, ha, 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 sucker. You've, you've been tricked, bro. Um, that, when that hits, it's going to hurt. That's, that's very humiliating. Yeah,
0: but no, I, think um... it, I think it's sort of like how they train the original assassins. They get lots of boys very drugged up, take them to a place where they get lots of women, and then when they fall asleep, they take them back outside and say, if you want to come back here again, you're going to have to kill people for me. So, <laughs> I think that, that would be a wonderful sequel to this, where Christopher Sly is an assassin.
4: <laughs>
2: that would be pretty incredible. That actually would actually be pretty
3: incredible. <laughs> Taming of the Shrew I saw in the um, Season 3 episode of Moonlighting, it did involve ninjas. So...
0: Oh! So we're tying it all together. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I know we spent a while on this. What we agree is a rather weird opening scene, but only, it let's try is. to tie it thematically somewhat to the rest of the play. Uh, I mean, the fact that, I mean, they do get you know, the boy I said, who was meant to be this beautiful, submissive wife. Uh, uh, let me open up actually how he describes him. So it says with so- such duty. Okay, so. Ah um, uh, Sitter, go you to Bartholomew, my page, and see him dressed in all suits like a lady. That done, conduct him to the drunkard's chamber and call him madam. Do him obeisance. Tell him from me as he will win my love. He bear himself with honorable action, such as he has observed in noble ladies unto their lords by them accomplished. Such duty to the drunkard let him do with soft low tongue and lowly courtesy and say what is your honour will command wherein your lady and your humble wife may show her duty and make known her love. And then with kind embracements, tempting kisses, and with declining head into his bosom bid him shed tears as being overjoyed to see her noble lord restored to health after seven years hath esteemed him no better than a poor and loathsome beggar. And a bit later on, he says, I long to hear him call the drunkard husband. And from a modern perspective, this does seem like the Lord is trying to get his kinks off. (laughs) Um, But it, you know, on what's something Greg said, that this is meant to perhaps separate or distance Shakespeare's view of what's going on from what's happening in the play, you know, the domestic abuse angle, I'd say that, you know, maybe the fact that it begins with. The perfect wife we see first is actually a boy in drag who is aping a noble man's idea of what a perfect wife is. Now, I'm not saying that Shakespeare was secretly putting in a feminist note here that actually these perfect tamed wives are actually um, male fantasies, but maybe it's something like, oh, actually, you can't get a perfect wife. It's all just a silly ideal that we have as men. But, you know, (laughs) does anyone have any opinions on the fact that this boy is meant to be a wife?
1: well like um going by on
2: a practical level going by the history that you know men were the only ones that were allowed on the stage um just having a young boy dressed as a woman was no big deal and i suppose you could um layer on the fact that these guys were all acting as actors who are acting as um you know page boys being wives, all that. So just layers of layers of um, trickery and deception. Um, But, yeah, so you could potentially argue that the women on the stage, since they are just young boys dressed as women as well, there is no such thing as a perfect woman or a woman that is...
0: But, I mean, uh, yes... uh... I just like to po- just like to really <laughs> hammer home that this is a weird induction it has it's two scenes in my edition two scenes of this induction it is i mean surely this is just a bit of an experiment one of those early experiments people have in their careers as
1: writers but yeah.
4: i
3: mean he yeah. does experiment in a number of plays with framing devices like, Romeo and Juliet's only, what, a couple of years later?
1: Let's isn't it? Check. The fact that he didn't,
2: you know, bookend, um, you know, uh, uh, basically a conclusion, epilogue for Sly's predicament is super strange. It, it is, is, isn't, isn't it? it?
0: Yes, Romeo and Juliet was about five years later.
3: Uh, and, and he kind of had perfected it by then by going, oh, well, let's just do a little... Um, chorus before and after as an introduction and coda.
0: Yes, but um, I at least to me the chorus doesn't
1: particularly draw attention to the fact that the play is a play. Cause yeah, like um in the middle, and like a few scenes in or a few acts in, I just can't remember where exactly. He's like
2: by the way, wife, do we do we do we have to watch this? Can't we just you know go up to the bedroom and and do our wifely husbandly duties? And the page boys are sweating, going no 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 no. We're we're watching this. We're, we're finishing this. And he does yes.
0: again. I stuff. must. I must assume Shakespeare had. There is some a homoerotic subtext in here somewhere. <laughs> that this is that the reason why he chose a young boy to do this rather than a young boy actually playing a a, a female servant who is then going to play a wife. is because he wanted there to be at least the joke of oh no, this man thinks he has a beautiful wife, but haha, it's actually a little boy. I'm sure that there's some sexual element here.
1: Uh It likely is, yeah. Like 100%. 100%. Yeah. But,
0: you know, I think we've spent Enough time <laughs> on the, the induction, which we all admit is a, um, it's, it's a diversion.
3: It, it is certainly something that is left out of a lot of performances.
0: Yes. I mean, what it's one of those things that's taken out all the time. But, you know, uh, when, but when I'm preparing for these episodes, I go to the Shakespeare, the Critical Heritage, which has a lot of Historical literary criticism on Shakespeare from the 17th century to the 20th century, and there was a lot of stuff on two, no, two gentlemen of Verona from last time, and that is not a play anyone thinks about. But there was very little on Taming of the Shrew. It was, it wasn't a play that was actually put on very often. Um, my
3: understanding is that it, there's almost entirely no evidence of this play being put on during the 1700s. Um, that while the 1700s included David Garrick's famous adaptation of it, The Taming of the Shrew itself was very rarely put on. Um, It could have to do with the content and the themes around it, but it wasn't a popular play. It's only Uh, been as we have tried to explain it in ways...
1: If Shakespeare had had
2: a little bit more time, I think this would have been an actually a really good play. Oof. But I'll get into that
0: later. I mean, when it comes to... I mean, I, I'm basing all my opinions on the critical history of this based on the that anthology series. Uh, but, you know, when I'm looking at these, it's mainly... They, they all just seem to agree, oh, it's a rather pleasant, benign comedy. It's just... It's, they just don't seem to think it's worth talking about. But, you know, there's one guy in the 1768 who basically says that... You know, it's it's good and it has been people like it. Um but and he and he also says that it has outshunned the tamer tamed by John Fletcher and and uh Beaumont. Well it would so, be
3: disturbing if you had a play not
0: outshine its sequel. I mean it's I, I just I need to well uh, Godfather two? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of a sequel of or like a remake that is uh, oh the thing, uh, John Carpenter's The Thing that outshines its original. Hey, there you go. Sh- yeah.
1: And yeah. Shrek
0: Two
2: was better. Shrek Two really improved on the formula.
0: Now, I was going to say Terminator Two maybe,
3: um, but even then, you know, you know the original quite well. Whereas, if you went down the street today and you you know put out a bunch of you know which of these plays is the real play. Um, everyone would go. Oh, it's the Taming of the Shrew. I've never heard tamer the taming the tamed or what was it the tamer, the tamer tamed. tamed? Yeah, the tamer tamed. Yes. Um, or Catherine and Petruchio. It's pronounced Petruchio. Petruchio. Okay. Or what? Have what you... was the one that was written at the exact same time or just before? Um, because that, this, that's the whole other thing too. Is that Taming of the Shrew? There were two texts the taming of a shrew yeah the taming of a shrew a pleasant conceited history
0: but yes you know we've been talking about how you know it wasn't that popular and i'm talking about how it hasn't been talked about that much in the critical history but and i it's surprising given how much talk there is about the two gentlemen of verona which i think is mainly because people have a lot of complaints about the two gentlemen of verona so i think that the fact that this play has something that's quite objectionable to us you know being so sexist and being, you know, essentially an endorsement of domestic abuse, is actually the thing that has helped it survive, quite frankly. Um, if it wasn't for this, no one would talk about it. <laughs> so, but
1: also,
2: like, um, on the side of the talk- talking about the, just the, the shenanigans uh, against Kate, the scenes are very cheap. Like, they just talk about it. They don't actually act it out on stage, um, which I found very interesting.
0: Uh, do you mean like? Well, we'll get there later on. But do you mean like yeah. showing her getting starved and sleep deprived?
2: Yeah, pretty much. Because I feel they, like they that... do
0: show one one instance of his, you know, starving her technique. Where so, oh, this the, the meat is burnt. It no, it's not burnt. Say no, it's burnt. Take it away. So that's I think that's the one time we have shown it. Yeah, but that's basically
2: it. And um, on the one hand, I'm just like, that's a lot of missed opportunities, man. I feel like that could have been a lot of physical comedy gold. And the other part's like, did you really want to watch that? And the answer is, "Mm, we'll get
0: into it. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'd laugh at domestic abuse. (laughs) Hey,
2: well, uh, I have a a case for that, I guess, but we'll get into it later. Yes.
1: Now, Act One. In which
3: Doris gets her oats.
0: Is that a reference to something? If I don't like the reference, I'm cutting out that line.
3: A Beatles reference.
0: Oh, Beatles. The Beatles. God fucking damn it. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, right. Taming of the Shrew. Act one. <laughs> Act one, Taming of the Shrew. All righty. It's
3: only taken us an hour
0: <laughs> yes. to get through. Yeah. I'm sure we can speed up. We can so We established the plot of Taming of the Shrew. There's a rich man called Baptista with two daughters. One of them is Bianca, whose name means white, who seems like the perfect, quiet, submissive girl. But then there's the older sister, Caterina, who is a shrew of the title, who is talkative, argumentative, and she is openly contemptuous of all the men who are lining up to try to marry her sister, Bianca. But Baptista has little gambit. You may only marry my nice daughter if one of you takes the older sister off my hands. And that is the inciting incident. Someone has to marry Catherine before anyone can marry Bianca. The suitors for the hands of Bianca are the elderly Grêmio, the young Hortensio, and also a new arrival in the city of Padua. Called Lucentio. Lucentio, who has come from abroad to study at university to become a good man via the use of philosophy, a goal he very quickly forgets about. Uh, What is everyone's opinion on Lucentio's introduction?
3: I think it's Uh, fine, I think it sets him up as the hero. He's a dummy bully. On that point,
0: yes. Yes, he is a guy who he's he's willing to
3: I mean, he sounds just like your typical male starting university. But yes, obviously so hasn't many... changed for four five hundred years.
0: Yes. I'm going to get into activism. I'm going to do all of my studies. Ah, but there, there's a real looker. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you said that he seems like the main character, Greg. I I'd like to talk about this because You know, this is, you know, the idea of a shrew taming plot. This is a rather common uh, folk tale, folk story, and, you know, plot points in lots of Western and Eastern literature. However, when you enter it, you enter the story, this story in particular, you don't know exactly who's playing what role. You don't know who's going to be this, we know who's going to be the shrew, but you don't know who's going to be the person who tames the shrew. So. Now, may- no, when you and- open the play and there's the induction and you see Christopher Sly and the hostess, you think, oh, maybe the hostess is the shrew. Oh, no, actually, no. Maybe, oh, uh, so now you see Lucentio. You think, oh, is he going to tame the shrew? So, so what do you think the audience would have been thinking at this point?
3: I don't think I don't they were know. worried too much at this stage. I think they were just like, oh, well, this is going to be the hero of our piece. He might be taming the shrew. He might be, you know... I, yeah, I think they would have thought he was taming the shrew for now, but it. They quickly, you know, stop us from thinking that it's not very long into his introduction that he starts like talking about how wonderful Bianca is.
2: Because, like, um, well, at first, there, Lucentio is, you know, talking with Tranio, going, "Oh yes, I'm gonna, I'm gonna study philosophy. I'm gonna be such a good man. I'm gonna do all of my studies." And Tranio is like, "Yeah, I believe in you, sir. You're gonna do great."
0: And then... Um, but he sort of pulls but- him back. He says, you know, don't... Uh, yes, I know you want to suck the sweets of sweet philosophy, <laughs> but remember, just remember that, you, you know, a good life has a bit of pleasure in it. And, his, and Lucenti says, yes, yes, of course, you're right, sir. <laughs> but yeah, and then um, Baptista
2: and Catherine and Bianca and the other, other peeps come along going, you know, would leave my daughter alone if you're going to marry... The younger one, you have to take the older one. Like, just that's that's how it's going to roll, okay? Okay? When that's going to happen. How it
0: roll. When it comes um, to this... So, you know, when it comes to this gambit, what do you think about it? The fact that he needs... I want my older daughter married off first. Uh, what do you think the motivations for this are? Is he just, you know, concerned for her financial well-being? That, you know, if I die, I want someone to take care of her. I
3: thought it was concerned for his own financial well-being. It'll be easier. Like, it'll sense? be hard to sell off... Um, Cat, it'll be easier to
0: sell off Bianca. I mean, so... why does he want to sell off Cat? Why doesn't he just let her be a spinster? Why does he want to get because her that costs married money off
3: money instead of making money? He has so much money. Yes, but you can always have more. After he's willing all, to pay that...
0: twenty thousand pounds to get her ha- get her off her hands.
3: Yes, but he's also willing and not 20, to £20, bet. Is he one of the betters at the end of four thousand crowns? Oh, at the uh... end of the play. I don't remember who's involved in that bet if
0: it's hortensio lucentio Pepita. and um petruccio um the 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 father says oh i'll, I'll split your losses uh, yeah. lucentio but then he says but then lucentio says, no no i'm going all in myself i have faith in my wife to be as obedient as i wanted to be um, yes uh,
3: to to me it sounds like baptista sees his children as assets
0: yes i mean when I it comes it was- to for
2: me, it was, a, um, it was a little bit of a what's the word? Um, you know, a Jane Austen thing. Um, that it's just a proper thing to do to marry the older sisters first. Because um, wasn't it basically the plot of um, Pride and Prejudice? Aside from the whole Pride and Prejudice being an obstacle to the main character's happiness, it was also that the older sisters needed to marry first to make the younger sisters available um so I it's thought it was just a seem- done thing yeah it was just the done thing and also maybe um Baptista was like come on guys like stop give give Catherine a chance like she's a bit mean but you know she's my daughter I love her just if you want to marry Bianca so much just make sure she has a chance first Catherine my cat nice. let, let me
0: maybe find some happiness with the dude you know <laughs>
3: You're so perhaps, much more forgiving of the father.
0: <laughs> perhaps I'm sent, yeah, perhaps me and Sophie are sentimental when we assume that maybe this father is, has perhaps his daughter's interests in mind. <laughs> but, um, uh, I mean, at one point he does say that my daughter, you know, he says to Petruccio, you'll need that necessary thing from her, and that is her love. He very quickly forgets this condition, but um, he does at first suggest that maybe her love is necessary in this marriage.
2: Yeah. Um, but yeah. And also I think, um, I think Catherine was just a very unhappy lady at the very beginning anyway. And, um, you know, uh, the dad knew that, but he didn't know how to fix it. So I was like, you know what? I, you, you can, she can be your guy's problem now. I don't know how to make her happy. So it's, it's your job now. That's, that's yes. that. So there's a little bit of, like, you know, fatherly affection, but also just wash my hands of her. Please just take yes. her
0: from me. I'm done. Yes, this this entire, you know, the, the entire gamba actually reminds me of an entirely unrelated story. But I had a relative who, in the British Library or something, came up to him because he had a first edition of the English translation of Don Quixote. And, they said, and he said, look, I'll give it to you. I'll give you the first edition of Don Quixote. But I also have a lot of 17th century pornography as well. Uh, Can you take? I'll I'll give you it all for free, but you have to take the pornography. And they said, "All right, we'll take the pornography." (laughs) But it turned out in the it it turned out in the future that the pornography was worth far more than the Don Quixote because people take care of their first editions of Don Quixote, whereas most pornography from that era is gone. So in a way, that really mirrors the moral of this story that the thing that doesn't seem as desirable is actually worth the most in the end. So um, that's cute. Yeah.
1: I like that. That is a good interpret interpretation.
0: <laughs> yes. um,
1: yeah, that's incredible.
0: So this is our first introduction to Cast Kath- to Katarina. Her first lines are, I pray you, sir, it is your will to make a stale of me amongst these mates. And then she says, if faith, uh, sir, you shall never need to fear. It wist it is not halfway to her heart. But if it were, doubt not her care should be to comb your noddle with a three-legged stool to paint your face and use you like a fool. So how do we like her? Do, do, does she seem like
1: a shrew? I adore her. Yes. She's hard to hate. <laughs> yes. They seem um, a
0: bit ready to um, dislike her.
3: Yeah, in Zeffirelli's film... They have to use all the physical comedy to make you question whether or not you could like Katerina. A a lot of gnashing of the teeth and crazy eyes. and Otherwise, you just see a quick-witted woman who, you know... uh, Later on, he produces very similar words for Beatrice in Much Ado About Nothing, and you're supposed to love Beatrice. So I'm not sure if you're supposed to hate Katerina or think her problematic.
1: Yes, yes.
0: I suppose maybe this would uh, differ along um, gender lines in the original audience. (laughs) Like, uh, yeah, so, um, I mean, the fact that we have Katerina, we sort of get the Prima facie division between her and her sister shown to us like Caterina she's speaking quite a lot in this opening. She speaks almost unbidden, but then Bianca has only four lines, which are sister, content you in my discontent, sir, to your pleasure I humbly subscribe. My books and instruments shall be my company, on them to look and practice by myself. And then she leaves when her father tells her to. So that's Bianca's first introduction. You know, given how she acts later on, where she does seem like, oh, I'm going to be an active agent in flirting with these, one of these two men. Uh, how do you think that maybe this opening line, which seems so submissive and um, docile, that it could be played in perhaps a more revealing way?
1: Oh, F- I thought point. she was a snake. As soon as she said that,
2: I
3: was <laughs> like, oh, you're a snake, young lady. Oh, Daddy, all I want to do is study. Please find me some good tutors.
0: Yes, <laughs> while she's winking at the um, the two people there, please take a fake name.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's definitely how it's played off a lot. Is the oh, daddy, just I'm such a good girl. Don't worry about me.
4: Yeah, it's
2: like oh, you can be as happy as I am, Catherine. like oh, Bianca, I think you're not a good girl at all.
4: <laughs>
0: you're a better girl.
2: yeah but yeah um i will like just quietly point out because maybe just my my cultural taste is trash but i just as i kept reading this i kept thinking this would be a great uh, manga this would be a great uh, maybe maybe even a great anime but you know what as a gag manga that uses a lot of, you know, reaction um, expressions, those exaggerated. what?
3: Oh, what look, the- I think that's fair. I, I see, like, you could very much make it, like, a huge high farce.
2: Because for me, like, um sometimes Kat- Katarina is
3: way too silent.
2: So something happens and, like, maybe she's shocked to silence or whatever, but she's just not fighting for her life enough for me. And, but if I um, just sort of frame it in my head as like a gag manga where she's just like frozen in stone or quietly like just like weeping in the corner um, and just looking like a weeaboo, I'm just going, oh God, I would read the hell out of this. It would be exceptional. Um, and um, Bianca would be the secret, you know, villainess with the quiet, with the quiet, like half lidded eyes going, yes all according to my
0: team, <laughs> For that sake, I, I wish that this play was more popular in Japan, but it isn't. <laughs> okay, scene one ends. Lucentio and Tranio say to themselves, you know what? I'm going to pretend to be her tutor. I'm going to dress up a new Tranio, You pretend to be me because no one's seen me in this city yet. So this is the plan. He's going to sneak into a man's house to chat up his daughter. And then, The scene ends with Christopher Sly in his last appearance saying, yes, by Saint Anne, a good matter surely comes there any more of it. Uh,
3: I have to point out that in 10 Things I Hate About You, this was one of the things they insisted on including in the movie. Not only that he is uh, pretending to be the tutor of Bianca, but that he doesn't know the language he is tutoring her in.
0: So, but now we have Petruchio coming up in a way that perfectly mirrors uh, um, uh, Lucentio coming up, except Petruchio is incredibly forward with his motivations. He says, I want a wife and I want a rich wife. I don't care if she's a shrew. I don't care how awful she is. I don't care. I want money. Give me money. I mean,
3: it's not but he just wants a rich wife. It's not like he's poor. He yes, he
0: has his, a ha- he has a house himself. steward.
3: frankly. Frank. He, he just wants a rich wife to go with, because that's what you need. You know, I I am a, a, there's the line crowns in the purse I have and goods at home, and so I've come abroad to see the world. So he wants a rich wife, but he, it's not that he wants her wealth; he wants her standing.
1: Yes, <laughs> that's what it seems to me
2: because, like, if you. And also, like, a woman usually comes with a dowry.
3: Maybe he doesn't give a shit about that.
0: Um, okay. In this one, the dowry is 20,000 crowns or something like that.
3: Can, can we not bypass, by the way, the wonderful line Petruchio has when um, Hortenso mentions that um, he knows a woman? Uh, Petruchio says about, uh, tell me her father's name, that's enough. For I will board her though she chide as loud as thunder. Yes, I've, that I is... I don't want us to miss that line, because it is amazing. It is a good yeah. line. It is, it is, you know, I I want a wife, a rich wife with a good name, and I intend to bed her immediately because that's why I want her.
0: Yes, he says, I do not woo like a baby later on.
3: Yeah. Just... He is there for one thing. Well, two things, money
0: and sex. As I said, I disagree about the money.
4: Oh,
0: okay. <laughs> Uh, well, the thing about rich people is that they're not exactly ashamed of getting more and more money.
3: That's true, but I do think he's very much there for more boorish reasons.
4: Yeah,
0: and also he very much
2: sort of treats it like a hunt, doesn't he? You know? Um, oh, yes, very much so. Signor Atencio. one uh, you know, one rich enough to be Petruchio's wife. Affection—it's um, like she moves me not, or not removes at least affection's edge in me, where she is rough as a swelling Adriatic seas, which, you know, if you're into the, into the ocean, that can be a pretty sexy line. I come to wive it wealthily in Padua, if wealthily, then happily in Padua. And so, like...
0: I'd being... like to tell any of our listeners not to insult either Greg or Sophie for mispronouncing all of these names.
1: Uh, yeah, Keep please, going, Sophie. Don't. <laughs> please don't. I'm, oh, I'm you confused.
3: can insult me all day long. I, I know I am. Um, quite mm-hmm. uneducated in the ways of my words, the Italians. But anyway, <laughs> the
1: Italians. <laughs> oh, but yeah, no, I, I know <laughs> she's an
3: irksome brawling scold, and if that be all, masters, I hear no harm.
1: Yeah, she he sees it very much
2: as a almost a pleasant challenge. Um, he is quite confident. He he is a he is either aware or thinks he is. A very charismatic person, so it's like, Oh you got a, you got a yelly shouty shrew? Give me her. I will I will like turn her around. I'll I I won't necessarily make her love me, but I will definitely make her respect
3: me. He Damn. has the like, I can fix her. I can fix her. <laughs> <laughs> I I think it's more of a I don't know why you're all so scared of her. <laughs>
0: Yes, I think there's. Um, let me find one, eight. Uh, let me find the lines where he says, uh, Why came I hither but to that intent? Did you think a little din can daunt mine ears? Have I not in my time heard lions roar? Have I not heard the sea puffed up with winds rage like an angry boar chafed with sweat? Have I not heard great ordnance in the field and heaven's artillery thunder in the skies? Have I not in pitch battle heard loud larums, neighing steeds, and trumpets clang? And do you tell me of a woman's tongue? That gives not so great a blow to hear as will a chestnut in a farmer's fire. Tush, tush! Fear, boys, with bugs. So you saying you're, you're pussies? Yeah. You're you're all pussies. Yeah,
2: I have experienced nature, and therefore a woman is nothing. Or you know, <laughs> I have faced Mother Nature. Give me a daughter of Eve.
0: Yes.
1: Yes. Which is which is one way of definitely like putting it. Yes. Sort a of undercut fashion- <laughs> by the fact
0: that he does go on to remove the Thunder Reformer. <laughs> yeah,
2: that's a shame. For me, I just wanted to quickly add, like, throughout um, the play, there's these whole misunderstanding, you know, gags back and forth between, you know, a straight man and a wisecrack slash Dumbo. Um yeah. And which also made me think, oh, this reminds me of Japanese manzai, um,
0: which is usually... For our Western audience, this is like... the this. Who, who, who are the guys who the who's on first? Abbott and Costello. Yeah, so to our Western audience, this is like a Japanese version of Abbott and Costello.
2: Yeah, so you just have one straight man who's trying to say something reasonable, and then you have, have the wisecrack dummy who's always misinterpreting what they're saying. And the wise man's like, are you kidding me? No, no. And sometimes like in the month Japanese manzai, you just slap, slap the other Dumbo with like a paper fan. There Um, is a bit of that
3: in this play.
2: Japan does seem to have a, uh, a rich history of comedic violence. Um, I I mean,
3: comedy has always been violent across the world. That's true. But again,
2: that's kind of why part of me is like this, this would be a great anime slash manga because it's, it's rife with potential for that kind of portrayal.
3: I mean, we're coming up to the next scene or we're very close to where Bianca is tied up by and, and It can easily be played as slapstick, this idea of um, the, the, the sister tied up in big ropes while the other one interrogates her over who she loves,
0: and to tie it back to anime, I can very easily imagine it played for sexual laughs, as in any etchy comedy of the past three decades. Yeah,
1: uh, I hate just her being
0: hoisted up in shibari up to the sky. Yeah,
2: yeah. Oh god, it's so so unfortunately true.
0: Yes, yes. I'm wondering uh, at which point I should edit this analogy. Yes, yeah. agreed. Um, Yes. But yes,
1: let's actually
2: go back to um, Act 1, because that's, that goes into Act 2. And um, also, I I interpreted that scene quite differently in my head, but we'll talk, talk about that when we actually <laughs> get
3: to it. I, I guess. I guess. There is so much about the whole... the, the B-plot about Bianca having so many different suitors and all the stuff they're up to that just does not interest me. And it gets worse in the later acts, but I just don't care about the other suitors. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think this is something that Shakespeare's earlier plays were more problematic with, was they contained all these side plots that weren't that entertaining.
2: Or at least didn't really complement the, the main um, conflict as yeah. well. Yeah, they, they
3: didn't have similar themes or anything like that. They didn't add to the piece much.
0: I yeah, mean, this... I will say this idea of thematic efficiency may be a bit, um, I mean, I mean, just in my taste, I prefer the sort of sprawl where lots of unnecessary doobly-doos are left in the story.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I mean, yeah, that is, because, you know what, that is um, definitely a more enjoyable play, because a, a too efficient a play just sounds a little preachy if well not sounds, it feels preachy. Um but like even Bianca is very underutilized because of um the inefficiency of the B
3: plot. And Yeah, I think if we had more Bianca instead of the um rubbish between all the different suitors, it would be a better play.
2: Yeah, and actually, if um, Petric- if Petruchio had actually arrived first, it would have been a more Taming of the Shrew-esque play. Because Lucentio, despite arriving, Do you hear that,
0: Shakespeare? Taming of the Shrew is not a very Taming of the Shrew-esque play. <laughs> it really isn't.
2: Because, like, Act 1, Scene 1, Lucentio shows up and falls in love with the B-plot girl. Literally, Bianca B, B-plot.
3: But, but then nothing happens in that B-plot, too. We don't have, like, a conflict for that relationship that needs to be overcome other than, you know, we need to convince dad that you're the
0: best one for me. Yeah. There's no conflict other than the conflict.
3: Well, it it is, it is a poorly executed conflict then, because it is muddied by these other suitors. Like this stuff with the other suitors isn't really about making them look bad in front of dad.
4: Yes.
0: (laughs) Which would make more sense. Act two, Katerina and Bianca come out on stage and Katerina Katerina is tying up Bianca by the hands and eventually strikes her. So much so that, at least to Baptista's eyes, uh, Bianca starts weeping. Do you think, how are we meant to view this? Um, Do we think we view this on the level of comedy? Do we think we view this as Bianca perhaps trying to get daddy's sympathy by faking crying? Oh, How do we view this?
3: Is there anything um, more funny than a catfight?
0: fight? I thought Catherine
2: was clearly, you know, in the right, going, please, you know, because she was just being slagged. And Catherine, yes. as far as I'm concerned, was just going, "Oh, Bianca, like, elope. I don't, I don't care. I don't want to marry these men. It's not. If you're going to argue with anyone, argue with dad. Just leave me alone." And then, like, Bianca says something particularly heinous. And it's like, Catherine's like, excuse the fuck me? And just then, you know, beats her. Which,
0: um... How hard do you think the hit is? Oh! Because up until that, the the strikes her stage direction, you could easily play this as being, you know, sort of sisterly, you know, the kind, forgivable sisterly abuse. Um, it's like, I think...
2: Ugh... If it's with, the, with a hand, I think it's quite hard. But if it's with an object, it's like one of those stage beats where you, you're just, um, you know, throwing the stick up and down but not necessarily actually hitting her. Like, it, it would very much de- depend on the director. Um, yes. <laughs> but well, if, it's, if it's throwing hands, just bare hands, I think it was a, it's a good, good slap across the face.
0: Yes.
3: Zeffirelli had the two sisters running around the castle. Bianca tied up by the hands and um Elizabeth Taylor playing Katarina had a big switch in her hand and was trying to
0: whip her. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yes. That is. Yeah, uh...
2: I mean, that being a comedy. But yeah, for me, I just find um Bianca as a character far more insidious. Um so like I just thought Bianca was basically baiting Catherine into giving her a good slap just yes. at the right time that that their dad would see. So yes. in her, it's very much a, a hard slap that makes Dad go, "Children, what are you doing?" It's like, "Jesus, what are you doing?" And Catherine's like, the silence flouts me, and I'll be revenged Just like clear, like clearly, she feels wrong, and um, maybe she is reasonable to feel, so I don't know. I just, I find Bianca not a good person. <laughs>
4: she
3: feels insidious to me. I think oh, it's yeah. a fair interpretation, yeah.
0: Oh, she's just a bit of an underhanded coquette. Anyway.
1: you <laughs> sneak? Yes, yes. So... I think
3: it's fair that um, many interpretations take it that Baptista treats Bianca like the the important child. She's his favorite, she's a daddy's girl.
0: But now we have Lucentio and Hortensio, uh, they've come up to be schoolmasters just so they can be alone with Bianca. And this is apparently the era before reference checks, uh because <laughs> it's it's something like um so Gremio comes in talking about either, well, one of them, and he says, uh, that have been more kindly beholding to any, freely give unto you this young scholar that has been long studying at Rhymes, as cunning in Greek and Latin and other languages as the other is in music and mathematics. His name is Cambio, pray accept his service. Now, he's like, is anyone going to bother sending out a messenger to those universities just to check if he actually went there? No. <laughs>
2: like, how dare you think that I would lie to you for a very good amount of money? Yes. My woman is my honour. My name is my honour, despite the fact that I change it specifically so I can try to fuck your daughter.
4: Mm,
0: Yes. Aha. So we have here the Entranio introduces himself to Baptista as Lucentio. uh, And he's trying to get his daughter's hands in marriage, saying, oh, I will wait with the rest of them. I will have as much free access as the rest of your men. Uh, you no know, dramatic irony. But in order to get alone with Bianca, Hortensio is quite lucky because he gets out of teaching Katharina how to play music because Katharina breaks a lute over her head, uh, over his head. So, quite luckily, he baptizes, okay, you can just teach my younger daughter now. So, what we think of that violence, I mean, breaking a lute over someone's head, that does strike me as more cartoon violence. I know that's anachronistic, um, but yes. yes. But
2: also it just happens off screen. And part of me's like really sad about that. I think. Um, I want
0: him to come in with one of those w- with a lute, but it's a prop loot with a little um, indentation around his head. So he comes on wearing it on his head like that.
3: Oh, yes. I want it like cartoon. It's it's wrapped around his neck with the wires over his head.
2: Yeah. Just a lot of the comedy happening off off
0: screen quotation marks just make me go. Oh, uh, yes, Petruchio comes on stage, and both to Baptista and to Katharina, he gives obviously false flattery. He says, I am a gentleman of Verona, sir. Ah, reference to his previous play. I am a gentleman of Verona, sir. But hearing of her beauty and her wit, her affability and bashful modesty, her wondrous qualities and mild behavior. I mean, he knows that everyone knows this is a lie, surely. And he says to her face, uh, um... Hearing thy mildness praised in every town, thy virtues spoken of, thy beauty sounded. So he is essentially... Now, he's telling her to her face things that she knows she is not renowned for, things she knows she is not, and things she probably wouldn't pride herself on being. Uh, how do you think... Do you think he's intending her to know he's lying to her face
1: in this way? I think he's pick, he's teasing her, yeah. Yes. But then, part of me also kind
2: of thinks... Um... You know, for you are called Plain Kate, um, Kate the Cursed. You know, she knows she is also called, you know, Kate the Cursed. Um, but like Bianca is still her sister; like she can't be dog faced. So, yeah, um, yes. say,
3: uh, in a lot of productions, and I think it's fair that the interpretation is that Kate's problem is not her looks.
0: Yes, I think even Hortensio says she's beautiful and she comes from a good stock. Uh, but her only fault—and this is fault enough—she is very cursed.
2: Yeah, and like, um, he's like, "You're you're beautiful, and I don't think you're that bad." And like, that's a nig. That's a an unpleasant little thing to do. But also, Catherine is not flattered by this, you know, because if you're being called a bitch and cursed and just, oh, please, for the love of God, shut up! Like, you're gonna you're going to say no i will not shut up you shut up um but also if you're going to get flattered out of nowhere you're going to be like either super suspicious or quite flattered and but she's none of those she's quite wary and quite sassy and you know very it, good with her words it's actually a I just really the nice sassiness answer. is
3: a way of saying that she's into him she likes that he's so f- Forceful, and it's ooh, this is someone to play with. The other, yeah. she just she pushed away. This guy, she's willing to banter with.
1: Yeah, no, or, and or the um, other guys ran away from her fun. tongue.
2: Yeah, it's like well, tan and like a buzzard. It's like oh, a slow winged turtle shall a buzzard take thee? I for a turtle, as he takes a buzzard, and it's just like you know, they're having a really good tit for tat back and forth
1: fun little um
0: and when you know in the marriage scene just before the marriage scene when they think oh he hasn't come he's left her she says oh yes thank god he's gone but then she but then the stage direction explicitly says she exits weeping so that that implies that maybe she felt something that you know she probably maybe wanted a bit to marry this guy
2: yeah and um in um line i actually wrote it down two three four Petrucio nay, hear you, Kate. In sooth, you you skate n- not so, and um and Catherine's like, I chafe you if I tarry. Let me go. And part of me is like, can she not help herself? Like, is this a tsundere moment? Is that what's happening for me? By the way, um, um, again, anime manga, because I'm I just, I just once that like little like frame device framing device like entered my hand, I just hid. I just could not escape it. Um so do you know what a tsundere is, Greg? I know what Simon no. is. Okay. So tsundere is like um a trope a character personality trope where um usually a woman, because it always is, um, is very, you know, standoffish and like um, you know, uh, cold and um rude, but deep down she's kinda into you. So, you know, if you if the main character usually a generic mediocre man you know is feeling sad then like she might kick him a um a word of of praise or a compliment and he'll be like oh you you actually care and she'll be like no no of course not i just feel that maybe you could do better to be worthy of to be my rival or whatever and eventually like um he
3: he's a guy who doesn't run away from her words but in fact he produces he he's the one who brings out all the sexual moments. Yeah, that. he engages. He, he's the one that says, "Sit on my lap and um, what with my tongue in your tail," which I love that line. Yeah. Uh-huh. And you know she strikes him, and he loves it.
0: I swear, I'll cuff you if you strike again.
3: <laughs> and, and and then his next line after that is, "Oh, put me in thy books." Yes. And a combless cock, so Kate will be my hen.
0: Yes. No cock of mine, you crow to like a raven. Yes. Yeah, so
3: I I get the very much I very much get the impression that she kinda likes the fact that she throws these words at him and he says, That's what I want, give me more
2: yeah it's like it's it's like that um happy little um moment when you're in theater sports and someone like adlibs a thing and then this person says yes and and just keeps it going. <laughs> if that energy had continued, I actually would have absolutely adored this um this I was about to say anime <laughs> this play.
3: I think there are ways to interpret the rest of the play in that this is them messing with each other.
2: Yeah,
0: Ugh, there is um, a way to do it.
2: There is a there, way to do it, but you have. There to are go... ways
0: to temper the. I mean, even I mean, even trying to keep some pretense of historicizing the play, there are ways to temper yes. the sexism of the rest of the play. Yes,
3: uh, you can't get rid of the misogyny, but you can almost I, make it palatable.
0: I mean, it's one of those. I mean. Part of the, and I remember that um, someone was, I was listening to the Great Courses series on Shakespeare's plays, and when he got to this play, he said that one way that the one director managed to get around the obvious misogyny of the play was by making, by bringing, coming back to the framing narrative and showing the actors who are playing all these characters walk off stage. And then it was revealed that the actors who were playing Bianca and Katharina, they were actually lesbian lovers, and the actors playing Hortensia and Petruccia were gay lovers. And so by adding in multiple views of romance, multiple views of sexuality, but, and by, but still having Katharina essentially come to an epiphany that, oh, I like submitting to men, it is a way of making it, oh, no, this is just her view of what a good relationship is. This isn't a universal view of women and men because see two gay people, two two gay couples out here.
2: So Kate has
0: a BDSM kink is the uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> Perhaps. Okay. There was I think there was an entire book which was you know it was a Shakespeare through the lens of BDSM fetishism. <laughs> and this Me play what? got quite a lot of talk.
3: See the reason why I think that they're teasing each other is a lot of the lines that are missed later on, which I'll refer to when we get to them, seem to suggest that a lot of the abuse he subjects Kate to, he su- he
0: does it to himself as well. Yes, that well, in order to wake her up, he has to stay up. Frankly,
3: and <laughs> he says, "Oh, oh, you're not going to eat. This is not good enough for you. I won't eat either."
0: Yes, <laughs>
3: <laughs> and and so yeah, we'll get to it. But I I of... I kind of like the idea that, yeah, they're messing with each other and are willing to go all out. It's like, who's going to blink first? Let's play love chicken.
0: But Um, at the end, it is, so, you know, we get to the end of this scene and essentially they're to be married on Sunday, Uh, despite the uh, fact, essentially he says, no, I'm going to marry her. Will you or nil you? I'm going to marry you. And the father sort of forgets about his claim that, um, oh, you need her love given that she's quite obviously saying, no, I don't like this guy. But she, you know, she's like, oh, go ahead, marry my daughter. And, and also, I mean, to tie back to the taming narrative, on, uh, there's one line where he says, um, now this pun works when you remember that the word Kate was pronounced cat or get, which is a pun on cat. It sounds a bit like cat in their original language, which is cat and cat. So for I am born to tame your cat and bring you from a wild cat to a cat conformable to other household cats. Here comes your fu- So, I mean, he's saying, I'll, I'll tame you like a cat, except house cats aren't very tame. Uh, they're a bit more tame than wild cats, but nevertheless, it, he is saying, look, there, there's a limit on how much I can tame you. You're, you're still going to be a cat. I,
3: anyway. I, I can tell you that is 100% true. My cats refuse to listen.
0: Yes. I mean, if he wanted to do, if he wanted to say, you know, you may be a, you may be a wild cat, but I'll have you like a, you know, a spaniel.
2: Yeah. Be my Cheshire Cat, be my my Burmese. But in an Um, example of
0: him not expecting her to
3: change, there's the line, um, tis bargained, twixt us twain, being alone, that she shall still be cursed in company. Like, he's not expecting her to change.
1: Act three. We open
0: with Hortensio and Lucentio teaching Bianca music and Latin,
1: respectively. I bet Bianca loved that. like yeah. snake. Yes. And Bianca and Lucentio
0: tries to chatter up via a very bad translation. So he's reading out a line from uh, uh, Horace. Uh, Hikibat, as I told you before, Simois, I am Lucentio. Hik est, son unto Vincentio of Pisa. Sagia telus, uh, disguised thus to get your love. Hik And that Lucentio that comes a-wooing Priami is my mantranio, regia, uh, bearing my port, gelsa senis, uh, that we might beguile the old pantaloon. And she, in the same way, gives a, a false translation reply. And now let me see if I can constitute. Hic ibat simois, I know you not. Hic est siger tenus, I trust you not. Hic steterut priami, take heed he hears us not. Regia, presume not. Senis, despair not. So she's saying, don't no, don't get hope. fresh, don't get too direct, but also maybe, just maybe. <laughs> and it's it's not that I mean I called her coquette before, but it's not like she's playing both men off each other because you know in her coded response to Hortensio's coded response, you know the coded Hortensio's messages gamut, you know in the language of music gamut to plead Hortensio's passion di, ni. Bianca, take me him for thy lord, and Bianca says, "Call it as a gamut. Tut, I like it not. Old fashions please me, best. I am not so nice to change true rules for odd inve- for odd inventions." So she's not playing them both. She is. She is quite directly telling him, "Look, I know what you want. I'm not going to give it to you."
3: Yeah, she she is clear with Hortensio that she's not into him.
0: Yes, I'm not going to embarrass you in front of my father. But no, I don't There's
3: want. Hortensio, you. she says,
0: "Oh yeah, yeah, you've got a chance." It
2: interests me that Bianca is very shrewd. She doesn't go, "Oh, what is this interesting machinations happening around me?" Um, She's just she catches on super quick and goes, "Okay, I'll I'll hear you out. I trust you not, but keep going." While um, she same goes for Hortensio, um, reads the thing and goes, "Mm, "Nah." She's very quick on the update. She's very shrewd. I think she's
1: a snake. <laughs> oh, or she knows what she's very politic about what she wants. Hmm. Oh, has nah. this happened to her before? Has it had two men
0: disguised themselves to try to chat her up?
1: I think I think that she is she
2: is
3: a little bit experienced
0: in this. <laughs> you guys have tried this before. <laughs> So now we get to the marriage of Kate and Petruccio, and Petruccio is late. So Caterina says, no shame but mine, I must be forced to give my hand opposed against my heart unto a mad-brained me full of spleen who wooed in haste and means to wed at leisure. I told you I, he was a frantic fool hiding his bitter jests and blunt behaviour and to be noted for a merry man who will thousand, point the day of marriage, make feasts, invite friends, proclaim the bands, yet never means to wed where he hath wooed. But then, she says, would Catherine have never seen him, though, and then exit weeping. So this perhaps implies, as I said before, it's not as she's saying, oh, I hate him, I hate him, I hate him, but this maybe implies she's protesting a bit too much. Well, she's
3: mm. saying she hates him because he didn't turn up. She wanted this wedding to happen. How dare he not turn up to our wedding?
1: After those fireworks, he was lying to me like these other guys.
0: Oh, and baptista says, he has to insult his daughter here. He says, go, girl, I cannot blame thee now to weep. For such an injury would vex a very saint. Much more a shrew of impatient humour. <laughs> he has to insult her daughter even when she's been jilted on her wedding day. Uh-huh. Yeah, this man, this man is, is not a good dad. Oh, and then Biondello comes up, making do you think he genuinely misunderstands the questions they're asking him? i think I think he's stalling he's
2: He's like, "Oh God, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to say what I'm going to have to say
0: i mean you know, I, when- I
3: think that's true because he then stalls by talking for ages about what he's wearing. I yeah,
4: mean, Maybe so that's
0: what he doesn't want to say. Why Petruccio like, is coming in a new hat and an old jerkin, a pair of old breeches, thrice turned, a pair of boots that have been candle cases, one buckled, another lace with two broken points, an old rusty sword taken out of the town army with a broken hilt and shapeless, And he goes on like this. And I wonder, did the Elizabethan theatre have this kind of costuming budget?
2: I think, well, the thing is, like, Half of that is about his horse being an <laughs> absolute mangy beast with like three hoofs in the grave, and the the last hoof is just full of cancer, and it's like so so yeah. Um, I think it's very much a budget thing with this is happening like off screen, and people are just going, "Oh my god, the horse is so bad, the clothes are so bad." I can just imagine it in my head.
0: Yeah, so he comes in. presumably either dressed like that or the audience, you know, sort of makes the agreement that, yes, he is dressed like that.
2: Um, Also, I think another reason why, briefly, um, going back to the costume, being described so, so deliberately, um, it might be because um, the people at the back can't see it in detail. So they can see, you know, a a, a patched up sleeve, they can see like um, a mangy stocking or two, but like you're just gonna have to take the word for it that, you know, he he just looks super ugly, even if you can't really see him so from so far away. Um and as for the horse, maybe they just had like two people in a horse costume and they were like, Yeah, this is a
0: horse. Just just yes. <laughs>
3: And that is a
0: horse. He comes in riding a broom with a horse head.
3: Oh, this <laughs> um, would be delicious.
2: I hope he did I hope that happened.
0: Patricia, he comes in dressed absolutely horrendously he says i'll marry kate and he goes off to the church and again the marriage itself is going to be one of those things that happens off stage like all the murders in greek tragedy this is so awful it has to happen off stage uh, because you know after a bit of lucentio and Tranio discussing how you know their how their plan and plotting is going we get gremio Performing his one dramatically useful action in the play, describing what happens at the wedding. We're not showing it, describing what happens.
1: Uh, do, how do you feel that the, this all happens offstage? Disappointing. So- it is a cop out.
0: I mean, it is sort of, I mean, I would say it's a bit like, you know, in Henry V, where they say, you know, we can't actually really show you this, Is on there this ever kind there of stage
3: actual marriage shown on
0: stage for Shakespeare uh no, well, Romeo and Juliet, maybe most of his plays end just before the marriage, uh, yeah, I
1: was going to say they
3: either end before the marriage or they get married off stage and come back married or
0: but yeah, so it happens, but I mean it's it's sort of like um I mean some of the things that are described here they they work better as words because you can't really get across okay, so Romeo says. He kissed her lips with a clamorous smack. You can't exactly show that. Um, You have to evoke it with language. Yeah, that's. But you
2: can animate
1: it.
3: You can animate it, baby. Yes. Yeah, I kind of imagine the Bugs Bunny kiss.
4: Oh, Yeah. Yeah,
3: where it like leaves the big lipstick marks and.
0: Yes, Petruccio would have worn lipstick just for that occasion. He would stop the marriage. Oh, yeah. He's like, Do you, kiss this ma- Do you kiss this woman? Stops, takes out his lipstick, puts it on,
1: and then smacks her across the face with it. Yeah. <laughs> but um... then, Kate and Petruccio
0: come back on stage. And essentially and she said, No, I don't want to go with him, I don't want to go with him. But then he says, Don't worry, Kate. All these robbers around us who want to take you from me, I'll get you to safety. And
1: he runs off with her. So this is a you know a part it is quite a, a nice,
0: a nice moment. Forcibly running off stage, perhaps with her over his shoulder.
1: That <laughs> is yeah.
2: And um, d- this is mostly like a wishful thinking um, interpretation, but when um, Grumio uh, is like, so, sorry, Gremio, Grumio the Grimlin man, Man, um, is like, hey, she was shaking as this man was beating up the priest or yelling at him. It's like, part of me is like, I wish she was shaking from laughter and not like fear or
0: rage. The, yes, one of the interpretations of this play is that, you know, part of her is. Sh- shaking in in anger. And the idea is that what Petruccio is doing is it's a sort of um therapy where he reflects her behavior back at her. Like she's a bitch so he's gonna act like a bitch. I'm going to abuse this innocent guy so you see how awful it is when other people do it to other people. You'll see yourself in what I'm doing. And I don't think that argument goes all the way, but it is it is perhaps a justification of his
1: behavior.
2: Yeah, especially um, with the knowledge of her breaking a lute over a, me- a supposed music teacher's head.
0: He's one of those useful people who reflects all your sins back at you.
1: <laughs> oh no!
2: Oh no! What say? Like, oh no! That is that how I am? It's, so it's he's a cringe mirror, basically. Yeah.
0: Yes, I think this was how the BBC um, Shakespeare—you know, those nineteen seventies, eighties ones—where they did all of Shakespeare's plays. And this was like the John Cleat. Well, John Cleese was playing Petruccio. This is how they played it. Uh,
3: yes, yes, that was a weird version. As much as I read of it, I didn't, you know, I didn't get to see it. I couldn't find a copy of it. I don't know
0: if there is a copy of it. Yes, but there was a DVD now, like, release a, a few version. years ago. I remember reading that the the Times said about those BBC Shakespeares they are the worst thing to happen to Shakespeare in twenty five years.
1: Oh my <laughs>
0: god. What was that? There was a Shakespeare in the Park one where they tried to defuse the um, the sexism of it by having all the characters played by women. And I remember one review saying, and this actress Petruccio will leave many women questioning their sexuality and their politics.
1: <laughs> I, I would have liked to seen that. Act four. We start with
0: Grumio talking with the house steward, Curtis. And... Does anyone have any comments on this exchange? because the only detail I find to be that important is where Grumio uh, describes. But hadst thou not crossed with me, thou shouldst have heard how her horse fell, she under her horse, thou wouldst have heard, and now uh, miry a place how she was bemoiled how he left her with the horse upon her, how he beat me because her horse stumbled, how she waited for the dirt to pluck him off me, how he swore, how she prayed that never prayed before, how I cried, how the horses ran away. So basically you're saying she came to my defense. (laughs) Uh, That is the detail that I find most uh, here. Uh, Does anyone have any notes? Why is
2: Curtis English? It's it's not an Italian name. Like on on top of Curtis just having... A weirdly modern sounding name it's, it's also a non-italian name so why is this guy just randomly Mer- showing up in yes, this was also
0: there was also a moment in the play with gremio where the other characters they're littering their conversation with your know, actual italian words and gremio says are they speaking latin forgetting that he is italian and should understand what they're saying so that was a that was a weird choice by william but then but then we you know, to add on to, you know, the the interpretation that what Petruchio was doing is reflecting Kate's Jewishness back at her to make her understand that it's not good to be a shrew. We have him treating the servants badly, where he says, take that and mend and plucking off the other. Be medicate, Kate, some water here. What ho? Oh, where's my spaniel, Troilus? Sir, I get you hence. And be my cousin Ferdinand, come here. The one, Kate, you must kiss me and be acquainted with. Where are my slippers? Shall I have some water? Come, Kate, wash and welcome home. You horse, son, villain. You let it fall. And then Katharina says. Uh, Patience, I pray you, because sort of fault unwilling. So, you know, don't, stop, stop badgering the servants. Stop hurting them. Uh, so uh, one can imagine that maybe in her own household, she was treating the servants, that she certainly treated Hortensia like this. Um, but now she is, she is seeing, oh, this is a monstrous thing to do.
2: And she, I think this is very much the moment of, oh, no, I, wa- I was the monster. I was this monster.
0: Yes. I'd say, yes, but I'd say that the interpretation that he is just reflecting her behaviour back at her sort of ends when he starts starving her and depriving her of sleep, because she never did that to people.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, no, absolutely.
0: Yes. Uh, but, you know, yes, let, let, let's get to that a bit late. Let's get to that. But we, for a... Uh, so we get here the first part, where... Ah, she, he is beginning to starve her by, he says, oh, this meat, Ah, uh, the meat is burnt. She, no, it's fine. It's fine, dear. No, it's burnt. Take it away. And then he gives his famous speech on the modus operandi. He's going to tame her, not like a shrew. The metaphor doesn't extend that far. He's going to tame her like a falcon. He's going to starve her and he's going to deprive her of sleep until she comes to his lure. <laughs> um... It is, I would say, so he says, "'She ate no meat today, nor none shall eat. "'Last night she slept not, not night she shall not. "'As with meat, some undeserved fault I'll find "'about the making of the bed. "'And here I'll fling the pillow, there the bolster, "'this way the coverlet, another way the sheet. Ay, and amid this hurly, I intend "'that all is done in reverend care of her. "'And in conclusion, she shall watch at night, "'and if she chance to nod, I'll rail and brawl "'and with the clamour keep her still awake. "'This is a way to kill a wife with kindness.'" And thus I'll curb her mad and headstrong humour. He that knows better how to tame a shrew, now I'll let him speak. speak. 'Tis the charity to shoe. So quite quite open about what he's trying to do here.
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: this is this is this is warfare. This is cool <laughs> This is war crimes, yo. Depriving sleep of prisoners is actually like a
0: Yes. Yeah, but
3: no, it's, it's a weird because he's doing it with a positive motivation.
0: Yes. Yeah. It's really weird. That I mean, I will say he, that you know right. we, we're talking about that this might be a a mark in favor of the play or a mark against the play. But when you read the original stories, the, you know the, the the older, even just a few generations um, past, um, Taming of the Shrew narratives, the way the Petruchio character tames the shrew is always incredibly violent. In one version, he just beats her across the face. <laughs> And now in that version, that's not even clever. That's just beating a woman.
4: Yeah. And
0: in other ver- in one version I've read, he kills a dog in front of her to
1: make her scared oh of God. him. And oh my goodness!
0: So it's now it's one of those things where this could be a positive that Shakespeare is t- taming it, making it more tame in a sense. He is. There's no violence. And actually, in the introduction to my edition, they said that at the time there was a movement away from physically disciplining. There was still the belief that women that wives should be subservient to their husbands and should be disciplined, but they did sort of, they were moving away from the idea that violence was the best way to get that. But um, on the other hand, there is the, that, so if that is the case, um, if it is the case that it was more acceptable at the time, this kind of um, non-violent domestic abuse, uh, that sort of gets rid of one of the ways people try to defend Shakespeare. Uh, in this play, which is they say, oh well, obviously it's bad. Well, no, he was already he was he was taming it quite a lot. So if he's taming it quite a lot, he you can't exactly make the argument that he is trying to make it obviously bad, and therefore the audience should be against it. Uh, but
3: <laughs> their argument, um, I think, one thing this monologue does do is it makes it very hard to suggest it's all tit for tat; they're equal. Yes, um, it 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 makes it very difficult to ignore the power inequality.
1: Yes, look, yeah. I, I will
0: say that if you know we kept most of the play the same, um, but we removed these second the these you no know, sleep deprivation and you know starving her. If we removed this part of the taming process, but we did you know still keep her learning you know just obeying him and doing the obedience game and saying that big speech at the end. Would our opinion of this play? Measures increase significantly,
3: or I think it does, and I think also that part of the stuff that can um, change your view is emphasizing the fact that he, whatever she goes through, he's going through as well. I will stay up all night to ensure she stays up all night, I will starve with her.
1: Yes, that
3: th- this isn't, I'm putting her through all this while I sleep and eat. I'm not getting someone else to clamor about.
2: Yeah, for me, I definitely. That is. This is where, um, you know, the taming of the shrew really lacks the taming of the shrew by Petruchio because um, they could have had more bats while they were doing this whole starving, preferably each other, um, and depriving each other of sleep instead of just him doing it to her.
1: Yeah. Because.
2: Um, and also, like for me, I'm actually very pleasantly surprised and relieved that there's no sexual assault in all my Because yeah, I mean, you do have, um, you know, romantic novels of the, I guess Danielle Steele kind. Um, is that her name? I don't know. I I, I should know, but I don't. Um, where you know, you, and also in the old. Um, you know, if if the lady is a lesbian, just fuck the gay away. Um, and
0: so... Um, Pussy galore in the James Bond. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know... Uh, that um, that
3: reference is acceptable. 1964 and the Beatles
0: are bad, but James Bond's okay. I,
1: I'm referencing <laughs> it to insu-
3: I am
0: referencing it to insult it. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, that is fair. Yes. Yeah.
2: So, um, and also, you know, so... <laughs> he's not fucking the sass away either. Um, she, he's just literally psychologically tormenting right. her to bend, um, which is a choice, and um, pre- I prefer it over just literally beating her to death or the sexual assault, um, which was my main concern slash worry before reading it. It's like, oh, good, it doesn't, it does, it doesn't happen. Thank God. Nice. Glad that didn't happen. So, but yeah, and um, it's just it feels like such a missed opportunity. Um, on the one hand, I really appreciate that this is short because I struggle reading Shakespeare. Um, but I don't struggle reading Shakespeare. I just wish it would be a little bit faster paced. Instead, I'm very used to the act three three act
0: structure, not the five act structure. Yes, so this is yes. When it comes to this, it, it's this is a farce. It is. I mean, the, the Tranio, um, the Lucentio, the father, you know, lots of changing of identities. And the thing about a lot of these old classic farces is that they're never as complicated or as fast as you would like. There's like two or mm. three moving pieces and they spend three acts building them up. And then at the end, they sort of come together, but everything's sorted out very quickly. It's... Yeah.
2: Catherine's speech feels unearned. Um, yes, yes. If... I will if only there had been a bit more you know tit for tat banter a mutual understanding of petruchio's charisma and um Catherine sass and how they're like all right cool let's tame each other we'll be yeah. um each other's our each other's love our each other's weirdo and we'll be great like i wish there had been that build-up but there isn't it's just Catherine going, oh my god, this man is just not going to relent on his ruthlessly, pointless negging and just sleep deprivation until I just say fucking fine. So she does. And, um, it's disappointing. I th- Taming of the Shrew could be
1: great.
0: Yes. Should we... S- this
2: would be a great play if there had just been a little bit more, which is a really weird thing to say.
0: Yes, let's uh so so there are a few more scenes in um so I'll just briefly summarize what happens with um Tranio and Hortensio in this scene where Bianca uh where you know they're they Lucentio and Bianca they're getting very close where Lucentio says I read that I profess the art to love which is a title of a book by Ovid and Bianca says, and may you prove Sir so master of your art. So they're, they're quite close now, but Hortensio is seeing this and he's saying, she, she's getting fresh with the staff. Uh, he doesn't know that it's a lord doing this. Um, uh, but he says, you know, I swear oh, I will not have a woman who dares to get flirty with a staff member. I'm going
1: to get me a rich widow, a lusty rich widow. And he does. Uh, <laughs> Which basically, you know, the widow was in
2: straits. clearly. She's like, I need a husband, you'll do
0: Yes, ah, and uh, got, and also Tranio seems to suggest that ah, he'll 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 go to the taming school of Petruchio. Um, that it, it seems he doesn't at the end. I wonder if he does set up a taming school later on, um, sort of like a pick up artist academy. Yeah.
1: Oh my god, <laughs>
0: scary thought. The Elizabethan era version of the su- the R Red Pill <laughs> subreddit.
1: Oh, that hurts me deeply.
0: Yes. Um, but then you know, we, we have this next piece of the farce coming up where Tranio is talking to a merchant and the, basically says, sir, can you pretend to be my father and pretend to you know, essentially talk with this guy called Baptista and pretend you have lots of credit in my favour? That's wow. the part of the farce. Are we that interested in it?
3: This is the worst part. Like, as I was saying, there's some of these side stories I'm not interested in, but this whole let's find a fake father thing.
1: Oh. It's yes. one of those not. things where I
0: wonder what the legality of any agreement they get out of this is. <laughs> um because you know, what, what's gonna happen on the wedding day? Obviously, Trano is eventually gonna have to reveal that he is not he is not that guy. Um but, you know, let's keep that this sort of comes to a a whimper in the fifth act. But we are still in the fourth act and Katharina is still here. And katharina is basically saying she she is describing what Petruchio is doing to her she's saying um but i who never knew how to entreat nor never needed that i should entreat am starved for meat, giddy for lack of sleep with oaths kept waking with brawling fed now she goes on like in twice in two places about you know the the torture she is receiving and this sort of i wonder how you can play this even at the time for comedy because you know when you're it's one thing to describe, oh, I'm keeping her awake at night and then laughing at her. Uh, but it's, it's li- it, but when you describe the pain you're feeling, that makes it different. That makes it different. It's like, when, it's like the Hitchcock thing, that the difference between comedy and tragedy is like, you know, comedy is a guy walking down the road and falling down a manhole. and Oh, you're laughing, ha, ha, ha. But then you look down the manhole and you see the, the, the contorted body, the broken bones, the blood coming out, and you feel terrible for laughing. Well, this, her describing what's happened to her, that's the sort of seeing the pain. I don't see how the audience can laugh
4: at this.
1: Yeah, I think this very much comes with tone. And also,
2: this is also um, where the banter should have happened between Catherine and Petruchio. If Petru- if Catherine had gone, Petrucio, how dare you? You you um my father's door. If you had you came to my father's door and you were fed like a king, and yet here I am, your wife, and I'm I'm a beggar in your own household.
0: And um if they had, you know and, I mean, and she then she does would... sort of fight back a bit when she says, Why, sir, I trust I may have leave to speak, and speak I will. I am no child, no babe. Your betters have endured me, say my mind. And if you cannot, best you stop your ears. My tongue will tell the anger of my heart, or else my heart concealing it will break. And rather than it shall, I shall be free, even to the uttermost, as I please in words. That's a bit of bounce
2: Yeah, it's a bit of bounce, but like, it's a Vance that has been dismissed. It's It's not one that has been engaged with. And that's... That's unfortunate because it's the the chemistry between the two going. She going, how dare you? And he and he goes, yes, and baby, um, and just keeps playing with her even at his own expense. You know, if he had staffed himself, if he's going, oh yeah, I'm dizzy too from sleep sleep to sleep deprivation and my love for you, baby. Then um, like it would have been a much better um what's the word scene and also you know when Grumio's like what do you want? Do you want a calf's foot? And he's like, I can't, that's meat. And um no, sorry, I I can't, that's that's meat. It's like, Well can I just have the beef without the mustard? And he's like, uh, no, but you can't have the mustard without the beef and then she like he, she strikes him that's quite funny. You could definitely play that for laughs, especially if Petruchio had been in the same scene, like, having, like, en- engaging and encouraging that, you know, that bit, basically. So, uh, it's a missed X opportunity. Thing is
3: Petruchio saying you can have food, all you have to do is say thank you.
1: Yeah, and, um... And also Petruchio going, hey, Hortensio, just eat it,
2: eat it, eat it right now. Um, And having Hortensio and uh, Catherine fight over a piece of meat, um, quietly, silently going, no, this is mine, or this is mine, like, that also could have been funny.
3: In the Taylor Burton, the, what is it, Zeffirelli version, this is actually quite funny because it's very much, you Know putting something in front of a person and then taking it away, um, putting it in front of them, taking it away, but also I'm taking it away from myself. Um, yes. Like, remember, there, there's the line later on after the tailor is that oh, we'll we'll both wear silly, we'll both wear these old clothes, we'll, we'll be rich, but people don't need to know that it's the mind and, and the, um... the body rich.
2: Yeah, and also, um, fucking, if Catherine had went to Hortensio, okay, I will pay you to eat his meat as well. Exquisite. That would have made such a great scene. And um, if Catherine had been like, all right, if my dress is going to be ugly, you better wear nothing, you know. Um, If there was, did the emperor's new clothes, the,
1: that, did that story exist in 1700s, 1800s, 1600s?
0: The Emperor's New Codes is a literary folk tale by Hans Christian Andersen.
3: Yes, definitely Um, not.
0: So actually sources, let's check. Andersen's tale is based on a 1335 story um, from a Spanish collection, so maybe he didn't know about it. So It's possible maybe he knew about it, but... um,
1: Oh man, I would love that banter when if she
2: if he had gone. All right, this dress garbage. How, it's like hat maker, get rid of it. And Catherine might have gone. All right, cool. I see a beautiful um suit for my husband on that mannequin, which is clearly you know naked. Like, let's you're an emperor to me, aren't you, sir? Why don't you wear that? That's great. Um, I just wish there had been a little bit more banter. Oh,
3: really? Actually, here we go. Um, so, looking up the Spanish book that made the that was influencing the Emperor's New Clothes, also influenced the Taming of the Shrew. Oh, yeah, Tale Forty Four of what happened to a man on his wedding day. They say influenced Shakespeare's Taming of the Shrew. So, there's a very good chance that Shakespeare actually knew that story.
2: Ah, uh, Willie William.
1: You, you had, had a
3: chance to, there You had a
1: chance at this It would have been good
3: Yep because that story is about A man who married a very strong And aggressive woman Yep, And, and that's the one where the guy Killed a horse in front of her Oh it was um, a horse he killed that was broken, and, and, I guess. and his wife who was worried That he'd do the same to her Started obeying him
1: And um, the,
3: the man's name Was Petronio Oh Okay, damn, that is... Ooh, yeah, yeah, it, it, the, the more you read it, the more you go, yep, this is definitely something Shakespeare read.
2: Oh, okay. Oh, oh you could have just taken one that one step further, William.
3: Damn it. Ah, <laughs> uh, see? We, we'll fix
0: Shakespeare. Oh.
1: That's what Shakespeare... this podcast
3: is called, right? Fixing Shakespeare?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I assume it will be at some point. <laughs> especially for the early plays. But yeah. let's very quickly skip over the scene where Lucentio Tranio and the merchant dress of the father get to know Baptista. They're presenting themselves to him. Now get back to Petruchio and Katharina, okay. where, oh, where this is where she is, let's say, beginning to go along with him. It depends, the level to which she's going along with him, is but uh, is de- is debatable, you know, because it does to me at least. You know, he's saying to her, "It's like, oh, it's actually nighttime." It's almost exactly the gaslighting story. Oh no, it's getting darker, and no, it's not getting darker at all, darling. It's not getting darker at all. But uh, he's saying, "Oh, the sun is out," and she says, "And then God will be bless. it is the blessed sun." And he's saying, "Oh no, it's the moon out there." Oh no, it is the uh, okay, yes, it is the moon. It's oh no, actually, it is okay. So uh, "Um, it is the." She says, "Then God be bless. It is the blessed sun, but sun it is not when you say it is not." And the moon changes even as your mind. So she is saying, you're a lunatic. You're literally what a lunatic is called. Um, So, but she's saying, look, I'll go along with you. And I'd say that even here, she is going along with it in a way where she is, in a sense, also taking the piss. Because because he's looking at this old man um, and uh, he says to the, and he says this man is actually a woman. And Katrina says, young, budding virgin, fair and fresh and sweet withered away or where is thy abode? Happy the parents of so fair a child, happier the man whom favorable stars allot thee for his lovely bedfellow. And Petruchia says, Oh, don't worry, this man is old and wrinkled. And she says, Ah, pardon, old father, my mistaking eyes, and I've been so bedazzled with the sun that everything I look on seems green. Now I perceive that thou art a reverend father. So she's, she's bigging this up. She is, she is going so far beyond the suggestion she, he has given that she is taking the piss, like, I know what I'm saying is nonsense, but I'll go along with him. I'll go along with my husband's whims.
3: Yeah, so this is very much a turning point where you're either saying she has been broken and she has Stockholm Syndrome, or she is so far from broken it's not funny. She's just like,
0: yeah, I'm going to mock the shit out of this guy. because. Oh, there is also the, the interpretation, there's also another <laughs> place in that spectrum where it's more like, look, I'm going to pick my battles. It's not really yeah, well, you know, yeah, I'm not going to lose much. There are much.
3: a range of ways to interpret in between. You are right.
0: Yeah.
1: For me, she sounds tired. She's like, "Oh, fine." It might the this well the rush sun. Kid. It's not moonlight now. It's like, "Uh, where is it? Where is it? Where is it?" Yeah, I know. It's like I say,
2: "It, it is the moon." I know it is the moon. Nay, then you lie. It is the blessed sun. As you know, it's like, "Ah, oh, then God be blessed." It is. It is the blessed sun. But sun, it is not. When you say it, it's not. It's like, all right, fine. It's. It's. She just sounds
0: tired. Yeah, and like Potentia well, says, Petruccio, go thy ways. When it come, look, I'd, I'd like to. You know, I don't want to try to defend sexism, but I will. But <laughs> uh, no, it's just you know, this is obviously you know a very unequal relationship, where it's put her in her place. But I was reading some article about you know how marriages actually worked in you know the the kind of high noble. You know, he, he is a guy with an estate, and she is uh, the she is the wife of the guy in this estate and in those places the way that the marriage was conceived of it was hierarchical but it was sort of like you know a general and an officer it, 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 an officer has responsibilities an officer has power within the household an officer has a certain range of responsibility and freedom so it's you know a wife in this time period a wife in one of these households the the, the husband g- often goes traveling you know petruccio is is says he's traveling right now he's gone to various places and when he's traveling, the wife needs to be able to marshal the household, run the household by herself. That it's an unequal relationship, but it is still co-management.
3: But that would only work if we got to see her power over the servants. And yes, we don't get
0: that. Yes, but you know, I just you know the way that perhaps that marriages are conceived of at the time may allow us to see this as not entirely as her being put entirely underfoot.
1: Yeah, like I get that that is the point
2: and you can actually semi see that um and also just historically expect that to be you know the norm of the time. I just wish that uh the that it was earned. I just wish that it was earned, and that it wasn't so mean because they had a fun banty moment first and they should have had, you know, basically an honourable duel to basically figure out who is who's going to wear the pants, who is going to be the general of the household. Because, you know, so I just wish there had been a little bit of, you know, a sword fight, a sexy sword fight between the two where they battled with their wits and um, eventually, because, you know, of course the man eventually wins because that's how duels work between men and women i just wish there had that been that um that banter of mutual respect like developed between the two because then the final speech would have been earned
1: and it hurts me
3: yeah yeah There there's definite ways where we could have had a lot more fun
1: yes the final Consume.
0: yes the fi- let's leave the discussion of the final speech for the next act uh, yeah. just to tie a bow on this fourth act we have the fourth piece of the farce coming in, Vincentio the actual father of Lucentio uh, who is probably going to discover that someone is pretending to be his son and someone is pretending to be his himself, frankly <laughs> but anyway that is act four yes. get ready for the get ready for the most damp squib of an ending of a, of a farcical convergence that you will find Act 5 and this is the convergence point where Vincentio meets his imposter and he sees Tranio
1: being treated as his son uh, Is this at all interesting? It's the sort of Shakespeare has way too much interest in you know, mixed
3: identities. Oh, it'd, it'd have been interesting and original if it was in one of
0: his plays and not in half of his plays. I wonder exactly what Tranio's plan is because Vincentio recognises him. It's like his name, oh, yeah. as if I knew not his name. I had brought him up ever since he was three years old and his name was Tranio. And uh, the merchant is away mad ass. his name is Lucentio. And then I think he tries, um, Tranio tries to get him called away. Carry this mad name to the jail, Father Baptiste. I wonder how he thinks this is going to end up in the end. What's his long game here? <laughs> that I get my, my master's father locked up. That's not going to end well for him.
2: I think part of me wondered if um, the plan was that Tranio basically takes over Lucentio's identity entirely. In
0: a talented
2: the Mr. Scene, Ripley situation. <laughs> yeah, because in a previous um, scene, Biondello says to Licentio, I think, um, specifically, hey, um, they're going to science shit now, um, and maybe you should watch out for that. And um, it seemed to imply that Biondello was thinking maybe Tranio is just literally trying to take a, just do identity fraud. With Lucentio uh, and Bianca, basically just taking Bianca as his wife and not for Lucentio. And that's why Biandello was like, hey, just get a series of witnesses and marry in a church before coming back here. Because, yeah, then why else was um, Lucentio, um, Tranio as Lucentio and Merchant as the dad going, being there? I yeah. That that's my only possible angle that would make Tranio's methods, actions make sense in my mind, cause like yeah, what what were you expecting to happen to have your master's father thrown in jail for being a madman?
0: Yes, it is not a plan with an end game. And then it's something like, um, let me check. Ah, so Vincentio says, so Baptista says, do, but do hear, have you married my daughter without asking my goodwill? And Vincentio says, fear not, Baptista, we will content you, go to, but I will be revenge on this villainy and I just sound the death of this knavery." Now, that's so, given that um, Lucentio does marry um, Bianca by the next scene, or at least like, they're about to be, this does imply that, off-screen, Vincentio and Baptista say, oh, yes, this is a terrible injustice. I have been fooled, but let's just sort this out and let them do what
1: they like. So it's just sort of no consequences on the rest of the plot this part, Yeah. Yeah, I think, um,
2: again, this is where the B-plot really drains the point of the story, which is the taming of the shrew. You're meant to have... Taming of the Shrew as the main plot, with the B plot sort of supporting the themes or the morals. And um, it could have been B plot is full of deception. There's servants pretending to be masters, masters pretending to be servants, and teachers. Bianca being pretending to be coy and cute when she's actually quite deceitful and malicious. While the true.
0: I mean, she may be theory- deceitful, but she's not malicious. I don't think.
2: Uh, I don't know. Um, the, but you know, I you already know that I think she's a snake. So, <laughs> so in my mind, I just think B plot have been being full of deception, full of um, intrigue, useless intrigue, while the A plot of Petruchio and um, and um, what's the word, Catherine having open conflict but honest conflict. Um, having this battle of wits that's um, basically Cat saying, I will be who I am and you're not going to beat me down for that. While Petruchio is going, hey, I dig that, but also maybe calm the fuck down just a little bit so we can have a good time, you know, And because I can give you a bad time. And just having this
1: contrast would have brought me a lot more joy.
0: Yeah,
3: and, so, uh, yeah. I, I think I agree with you there.
0: So we end this scene of this, the fast coming together with Petruchio wheedling a kiss out of Katharina.
3: <laughs> <It>, interestingly, <laughs> in the um, Zeffirelli version of this, Katharina kisses him on the
0: nose. Yes, yeah, so, so that is. I, I did exactly what you asked. You never said kiss you on the lips.
3: Yeah, it, it, as a way of just maintaining some sort of balance in power.
2: And that's great! Like, that is, like, I feel that would have been a quintessential moment that really encapsulated the vibe, and I'm using a lot of modern words that will very quickly age this podcast, Um, if
0: it hasn't, you know, already aged badly. Well, now we get to the end, the big party, they're having a party now, and and then we meet Hortensio's new wife. Oh, no, wait, this is Hortensio's wedding, isn't it? This is, uh... this is a
3: party to celebrate um, the Bianca's and Katerina's weddings at once.
0: Okay. Well, then we meet Hortensio's wife, who's just called Widow. Uh, yeah, well, she...
3: that, he, it's very much, uh, oh, look at me. I got married too.
0: Yes. <laughs> oh, she's Richard. <laughs> I'm part of the cool club
2: and I didn't have to deal with all this bullshit, and just married a widow because a widow needs a man.
0: Yeah. <laughs> there is, and uh, you know, Petruchio's basically suggests that um, he is implying that um, maybe you're having trouble with your wife, which Widow says, your husband being troubled with a shrew meshes my husband's sorrow by his woe, and now you know my meaning, and then Katharina and her get into a back and forth, a very mean meeting. Right, I mean you, and I am mean indeed respecting you, and Petruchio says, to okay. And Hortensia, widow. Hortensia calls his own wife widow. Um, but know they're talking about her like they're like they're, they're bear baiters. So go up, go get her, get her. So I think that's somewhat endearing.
1: <laughs> cat fight, cat
2: fight, and the name and the lady named Cat will win the cat fight.
0: Yes. So, Petruchio, a hundred marks, my cake does put her down. Uh, so.
3: But it comes up; it makes it a lot more expensive eventually.
0: Yes, yes, yes. So they—this is where they get into the the bet, the the obedience bet: whose wife is the most obedient? And I must say that you know, even from the uh, even if I was a Victorian era gentleman who you know saying, "Oh yes, uh, let's see how obedient our wives can be," I would say this is a very undramatic way to end the play. Who will come into? Who will come from stage right quickest? It is so, so they make a bet that let's let's bet a hundred crowns whose wife will come when called the quickest. And what happens is that, um, goes out to I so, first of all, uh, they send a servant out to get Bianca, and Bianca says, No, sir, I'm busy, I can't come right now. I say, Oh, then Lucian, oh, damn it. And then they go out to get the widow, and the widow says, No, it's a trick, which it is, basically, it is, it is, it's not a genuine desire to have her there. But then katarina she comes right away, and Yes, is this even from the perspective of a sexist person? I don't think this is a very dramatic way to end a play and not a very dramatic way to show obedience.
4: Yes, yeah, so it, but- it
3: really doesn't do it for me.
2: At least for me, um, again, this kind of again, Bianca is a snake take. Um, the fact that Bianca had seemed like such a demure, quiet. General perfection of femininity goes, No, I refuse um to come because it was widow, Bianca, and then Katarina, right? And so, yeah, I'm busy, and Bianca straight up refuses, and you should come to me. Like, that's quite disrespectful coming from Bianca, who had such an image of, you know, demureness and quietness and just general. Mm, um, vanilla white perfection she's not doing an about face; she was just have wearing a mask all along um, <laughs> I'm gonna stick to my this is the hill I die on for for this for this play um but yeah uh and then and it would have just been so much better if Bianca had been a all along. but um yeah it's it's not a very dramatic um way to end this whole loyalty thing even with the speech at the
0: end Um, I'm trying to think of more dramatic ways to do it that wouldn't automatically get done for obscenity
2: (laughs) I mean probably something along the lines of like a fairy tale request an impossible task like um, having a grain having a bag of sand and pick out all the pearls or just giving a wife an impossible task and then saying sweetie that's impossible or sweetie how dare you think i'm going to do that that's dumb or her You're coming
0: an- back in having thought around the impossible to us like pull out all the pearls from the, from this bag of sand and she takes one of her own pearls puts it in and takes it out again so that yeah might-
2: and um because that would make that would reestablish cat as clever um and she's what and you know still loyal and also they get each other Clearly, if Petruchio had been the one to go, let's do this weird test, and I specifically say this kind of test because I know my wife would succeed at it. Um, like, if it had been that kind of loyalty test, it would have been far more interesting, and also would have let Widow be her own person as well. Um, just let her maybe get a cheesecloth, dump out the it dump out the um bag of sand if it had been gold sand then she could have just panned it right on with her apron or something because then she has like the wisdom of age while bianca establishes herself as a brat by going no i refuse this is a servant's work why am I a head of a household doing this um while cat Bian- cat might have been like here I put in my pearl. It's far better than gold sand, anyway. Um, That kind of shenanigans. That would have been a little
0: bit more fun.
4: But this is fan fiction.
0: Yes, yes. Uh, Well, in the 17th and 18th centuries, they were quite open with just writing fan fiction versions of Shakespeare, just changing many plot elements. And Uh they did a lot. Yes. We may have to do one of those for an episode of this podcast. The um, John Dryden version of Antony and Cleopatra. uh, Called Love Conquers All or something like that.
3: Uh, Yeah. Uh, For this particular one, David Garrick, the famous um, theatre manager. He did one one called Catherine
0: and Petruchio except where Catherine is spelled with a C. Yes. Which is the worst sin he could have committed.
3: Um, (laughs) It cuts out a lot of the um, side stuff. Remove sly.
1: Um, keep some of the dialogue exactly as it is. Um, but yeah,
3: there's there's a lot more nuance to it, and there's a lot more. It's more on Catherine's side, Katarina's side.
1: Yes, yes. And well, then we have the end. Well, you know,
0: she's been obedient. She's done as she was told. And then we have the famous ending speech where she's saying, you know, you wives do as your husbands tell you. Thy husband is thy lord, thy life, thy keeper, thy head, thy sovereign, one that cares for thee and for thy maintenance, commits his body to painful labor by both sea and land. To watch the night and storms, the day and cold, Whilst thou liest warm of home, secure and safe and craze no other tribute at thy hands but love, fair looks and true obedience, little payment for so great a debt. And why our bodies are soft and weak and smooth, unapt at all and trouble in the world, but that our soft conditions and our hearts should well agree with our external parts. So yes, um, Betty, no, essentially a red pill. Um, so one of those, what, what's the, there's another Reddit for the women who've taken the red pill. So yes, this does sound like one of those manifestos. I mean, some people, when they do this speech, like quite a lot of modern productions, they do it as half winking. Or even in one edition, in one version of it, she comes in, dressed as a cowboy with a gun, and pointing at them as she says it. So, yeah, I think
3: there's one version where she literally winks at Bianca as she's saying it.
0: Yes, so like I this could be like you know when be. he says this is a this old man is a blushing virgin, and she goes over the top with it. That this could be her going over the top with it. That she's saying I'm doing exactly what you say, but you know obviously none of us believe what we're saying. Yeah, and and I mean like you know it's not out of the question that maybe someone. You know, that people might say, oh, everyone at Shakespeare's time was sexist. But, you know, women certainly weren't. And um, even if their belief was that, you know, you know, women should be silent, they should do what they're told, most women at the time um, probably, you know, probably thought, no, I, I have things I want to do. I may want to, I may be his wife and do basically what he tells me, but I'll say what I think. And, you know, maybe Shakespeare knew women like that. And he says, okay, I'm going to perhaps present this, as being a bit winking. I mean, I remember there was some primary source document um, from like a generation or two after this where there was a wedding. And in the wedding, the vows contained that love, honor, and obey. And the wedding came to a standstill because the woman refused to say, I vow to obey him until eventually the, the person who was ordinating the, the wedding basically said to her, look, it's just a word, just say it. It doesn't mean anything. And then the wedding went on. So, you know, this kind of thing is a possible interpretation even for the time period.
1: I kind of see this
2: like um, this, basically the speech as is, like out of context, almost like as the progenitor to the Merchant of Venice's, you know, um, mercy speech, sort of like a woman schooling the the surrounding about the virtues of instead of um, mercy today in this case, you know, the womanhood of, you know, just nature and buds and you know, softness, long stormy nights at sea. He stays awake, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Like you can. That's how I saw it, just out of context. This could have been such a sincere speech, if not for basically the middle part of this of this play.
0: Yes, and so that you know, even if again I'm putting on my Victorian era sexist hat. Even if I was that kind of sexist, I would, as you said, so, I think this ending speech is a bit unearned. That it's like Shakespeare had his thematic ending speech, and then when he got close to deadline, he realised that there wasn't that he hadn't actually written a lead up to that. that yeah, he, he hadn't earned it in yes. any way. So yes, that one can you know even keeping all the sexism, keeping this as sexist, and you know, um, you know, women should stay in the house and be underneath the man. Even keeping that as the moral of the story. This doesn't earn that final thing. It, it doesn't sort of lead up to her act. It, I don't believe she believes that. I don't believe she has earned this revelation or Shakespeare has earned that revelation for her.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, and also, like um, I wish she had been
2: talking to the husbands, going, like, if you had wanted such perfect wives, then, you know, you would have acted accordingly. You wouldn't have lied and cheated. Or you know um or basically gone for crumbs if you hadn't just went for a widow instead of beautiful bianca and fought for her honor then yeah you didn't deserve it little shits
0: i mean um, yes on, the, on that level you know she she could it depends on where she's looking when she says it. that could be the case because when she says um, um he commits his body to painful labor both by sea and land to watch the night in storms and day in cold, yada I think she says something about war at some point. Now you know, Petruchio, he has said, "I've been in the wars," so he, so he does. So he's the one who's actually just he's done the you know the things which she is saying a good husband should do, and that's why he should obey him. But Lucentio, he was just going to go to university. I don't think he's actually been out doing much. So You can imagine Lucentio just opening his eyes, why, Oh shit, do I have to do that to deserve her obedience? Um, so that that is one way where it could be sort of directed at the husbands, where just showing the two husbands reacting to what she's saying.
2: Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, but now I see our weapons are like straws, our strength like a straw's weakness, and our weakness past comparison, so that we seem to be the thing we are, most are not. It's like, ma'am, you're, de- you're not, you're done, you're done yourself bad. This is not, this, you, you need more, you deserve more self-respect than this. Will, you're done fucked up.
4: But
0: I think actually there was a note here that just after she wins the obedience bet, um, this is the first time that Petruccia calls her Catherine. That there was a big point earlier on where she said, where she said are you Kate? And she says, no, I am Catherine by those that do know me. And he says, and no, there 20... are Kate, 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 Kate. So he's yes. he's, cute, he's calling her by a pet name when she wants to be called Kat, Catherine. And now he's calling her Catherine. I respect you now. Which, you know, a bit of a neg, but, um, but yeah, I, I I think well
3: yeah yeah it shows too much weakness and it hasn't shown her weakening very well before that
0: that's right well this is your homework listeners can you write a version of this play where the sexism is thematically deserved
2: I <laughs> think I can do it yes
0: you
3: I think I think it would be easier to write a version of the play in which there's a lot less sexism
0: well that's that's where in the fact, the challenge lies in keeping the sexism in there
3: if, if anyone could pull off a play with zero sexism, I would be very impressed
0: well, there was that one r s c one where they made you know they they, they changed the genders of the characters, and so there's that
3: well, but that's still sexism it's just something you wouldn't expect it's It's not misogyny it's what do you call the other version I can't remember
2: is it Miss Anne? yeah Miss
3: Henry. Yes.
0: History, yeah, well, maybe they maybe they could just make it a gay couple. <laughs>
2: In which case, that'd be far more interesting. Although, like, sucks to be sucks to be the cat, because still,
0: maybe she's a power bottom.
2: <laughs> okay, okay, let that's, that's a that's a. Well, considering that we've already established that uh, cat seems to have a, a BDSM king, you know, that could be that could be a choice.
0: That is an interpretation. That is a it might be workable. <laughs> so so, we end, so uh, your opinions on Bianca, Sophie, have been well documented. Uh, but <laughs> when it comes to the ending, the way that I heard the ending reported to me and the way I imagined it was that, oh, Bianca, she seems so uh, submissive and polite and demure. Ah, but then it turns out she's not that. And the way that this sort of was given to me was the idea that, oh, actually, Lucentio and Bianca, their marriage is not that happy, that actually she turns out to be secretly a shrew. But actually in this, no, it's just that she's a good wife. She's just not the kind of drop everything and come when he calls sort of wife. That Lucentio and Bianca's marriage does seem to be fairly happy. There are no signs that it's bad, even though Catherine says this is the right way to be a wife. There doesn't seem to be any indication that Lucentio and Bianca's marriage is that strained.
2: I mean, in its defence, it only just started. Yeah, I was
3: going to say there's very little information about the relationship, one way or the other.
2: But I do wish to point out that it uh, it started basically on you know a bit of deceit. Um, he, she's like, "Oh no, my dad's unhappy," and he's like, "No, no, 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 he'll be fine. He'll be fine." When are we sure about that, though? I feel like she only chose him because he had the balls to be, you know, adventurous, you know, a spy. during the day, coming at her window, pretending to be a teacher, you know, kind of a, a young girl's idea of rom- of romantic when
0: it's really just very creepy.
3: Yeah, they don't know anything about each other except for she knows he doesn't know Latin or Greek.
0: I mean, when it comes yeah. to that, I mean, you know, this is old comedy. Um, you know, this is old love story. For the sake of narrative efficiency, love at first sight is very much a thing. <laughs> I mean, it.
3: That's true. And we know that he falls in love with her at first sight.
0: Yes. And. Um,
3: but did.
2: But did be hmm. Because she was shrewd about it.
3: In, in a lot of productions, they um, have her. Uh, openly like she knows he's listening in as she says oh no no I'm just going to study as if to say pick up the hint pretend to be the tutor maybe not pretend to be a whole different person but
2: um, that merchants of Venice* did that far better though obviously
3: oh yeah Jewish
0: I agree but, except um... there is an, an plot impl- between Bassanio and Portia there is possibly an implied three month period of getting to know each other I mean, that's uh, one way to get past the love at first sight thing.
4: <laughs>
0: but when it comes, you know, in mm-hmm. these kinds of plays, we have to accept that people do fall in love in an unusually quick amount of time. That's just a, gen- a generic thing that has to happen.
3: That is true. And it still happens today. We see it all the time.
2: And yeah. that's okay. But yeah, I just feel um, at least it would have served the play better if there had been. A bigger contrast of you know Bianca being submissive but you know slyly and just trying to get out of her basically her dad's household maybe she was feeling stuffy from all the pretending to be good that she was doing but then again I am very biased against Bianca so yeah. I'm really running wild with my imagination
0: that is taming of the shrew now I have here, as I said earlier on, I do go to a collection of criticism called The Critical Heritage. It's a six-volume series going through the entire history of Shakespearean criticism. And the very, uh, to my knowledge, the very first written review of The Taming of the Shrew is from 1691 by Gerard Langbane, who calls Taming of the Shrew a very diverting comedy. That's it.
3: It's a good waste of time.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, Charles Gideon in 1710 says, This play is indeed dramatic, for it is all action, and there is little room left for reflections and fine topics, although it would be far from regular as the time and place. It would be perfectly so in the action, and some of the irregularities in time may easily have been prevented. But, yeah, most of the stuff that these people back then had to say is either saying, oh, this is a comedy, this is a, and basically implying, oh, it's a diverting sort of comedy. It's uh, perfectly benign and inoffensive. <laughs> I suppose the best yeah. as I said the best thing that has happened to it is that the only way it could become famous is by becoming notorious.
2: <laughs> and the notoriety frankly is actually pretty tame. LOL.
0: Yes. <laughs> ah this is William Hazlitt. So this is jumping forward to the 19th century. And, you know, his view of this, the Taming of the Shrew is almost the only one of Shakespeare's comedies that has a regular plot and downright moral. It is full of bustle animation, rapidity of action. It shows admirably how self-will is only to be got the better of by stronger will, and how one degree of ridiculous perversity is only to be driven out by another still greater. And it says, Petruchio is a madman in his senses, a very honest fellow
1: who hardly speaks a word of truth. So that's a good description of him. And... Okay. Okay, yeah, that's a take. I think it's a cop out. Yeah.
3: Yeah. You, you know, the, those lines where you say both things are true even though they're contradictory? So either way, you're right.
2: Yeah. I think instead of honest, I think sincere might have been a better word. An Honest liar and sincere liar because what he seemed at least when he was being, uh, you know, a theater sports, yes, and baby moment, he was being charismatically sincere about what he wanted and what he thought hate was. Um, I just uh, it could have been a beta play, it could I have s- been a beta play.
0: I seem to remember, you know, back to the tamer tamed, I seem to remember that. That we don't know much about what the royals thought about performances that were given to them, but there are some record books where they give the impressions that the kings have of them. And there was once a double feature. Um, you know, one day was the the Taming of the Shrew, the next day was the Tamer Tamed. And for the Taming of the Shrew, the record was um, pleasing, and for the Tamer Tamed, it was very pleasing. So oh. <laughs> that is. <laughs> that, that
3: kind of kind of sounds like the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy being edited to say Mostly Harmless.
0: Yeah. <laughs> ah. But that is The Taming of the Shrew. Now to tie it up let's all go through one thing we liked about this play. Greg, what was one thing you liked about this play?
3: I liked some of the innuendo and clever banter that is there, especially in that conversation at the first time that Petruchio and Katarina are together.
1: Sophie? Um, Yep, definitely
2: the sassy banter and Petruchio at first. I really actually enjoyed Petruchio and Kat for the first half basically before they married and they just started Then petruchio being you know unilaterally cruel to her before the
3: gaslighting
2: because it was it was fun they were they had good chemistry until until willie was like this is not this is this is where it needs
0: to go and what i liked was the induction with christopher sly <laughs> it's just a, <laughs> a weird moment that is let's it is, as we said, it is the only victimless prank. It is the best kind of prank. Let's give this guy a dreamlike holiday. Now, let's talk about something we didn't like. And just just for it to be a bit challenging, let's put the domestic abuse off the table. What's something you didn't like, Greg? Oh,
3: well, uh, m- mine's easy, and that's the b plots of let's all dress up as different people and let's bring in dressing up someone as their father and I ju- I just don't care. That, that whole thing about the father, I just did not care one moment for. It offered nothing to me. And in fact, I'm not entirely sure that that didn't bother me more than the domestic violence. I mean, the domestic the domestic violence was bad but it was at least compelling and engaging
0: yes <laughs> sophie
3: um
2: my take on the domestic violence was that yeah it's uh i was just glad that there was no sexual assault or genuine like beating of you know each other thank god for that and the creativity of the of the psychological warfare I think would have made a pretty good uh, play and may continue to do so if this eventually gets adapted into a manga or an anime.
3: (laughs) I know what Sophie's up to over the next couple of weeks.
2: (laughs) I look forward to that best timeline in the future. It's going to happen. I will manifest it. Um, Obviously, what I didn't like was my uh, very well-documented and um, reasonable dislike of Bianca. And... (laughs) And how this could have been a better play, like it had the pieces, it they just weren't explored um, or developed well enough. So yeah, that's those are my two main dislikes of the play. I'm a little bit disappointed that there was no book ending
1: of the introduction, like and just dropped like a hat. Unfortunate. It could have been fun. When it comes to what I disliked about this play, I mean I will say that. It ends... The climax
0: is women coming into a room. I'd say that the obedience test could have been a bit more dramatic, I think.
1: Yeah,
2: that's definitely one, too.
0: But that is Taming of the Shrew brought to a close. Next month? So the way we're going to do this, I believe, is that we're not just going to do Shakespeare plays. We're going to broaden ourselves out. Every two, two episodes, these are going to be Shakespeare plays, but then the third will be something else. And next month, we're going to do The Duchess of Malfi by Don Webster. So let us contrast The Taming of the Shrew with one of the most well-known, strong female characters, TM, in all of uh, Renaissance literature. Thank you for listening to episode two. The music opening and closing this podcast is a public domain recording of Henry Purcell's The Fairy Queen taken from museopen.org. Biographical information is taken from The Life of the Author William Shakespeare by Anna Beer from Wiley Blackwell Publishing. Historical criticism of Shakespeare is taken from Shakespeare, The Critical Heritage, edited by Brian Vickers from Routledge Publishing. Thank you for listening.